0: And it is your money I'm Susie Jones and if you are listening right now and have a financial question for Bruce or Pegg you can call this number twenty four hours a day seven days a week and that is one eight 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 six advice you can always email your questions as well to your money at wealthenhancement dot com. But for the next little bit here, you can text or you can call. Love to have you on the phone at 651 461 Now here is the Senior Vice President and a Financial Advisor, Peg Webb, and Founder of Wealth Enhancement Group and Financial Advisor, Bruce Helmer. Welcome to both of you. Good morning,
1: Susie. Good morning, Bruce.
2: Hello, Peg Webb. Hello, Susie Jones. And hello, listeners. Good to be with all of you. Susie and listeners, uh, Peg and I today wanted to spend our time. The title of the show is What is a Fiduciary and Do I Need One? And kind of as, a, as an overview or, uh, or foreshadowing what we want to talk about, there's a lot of statistical data out there that verifies that using an experienced and knowledgeable financial advisor can create value to you and your family that exceeds the cost of the advisor. Peg, I think a lot of people don't wanna use a financial advisor because, I don't know, it could be trust, but but it could be cost, or it could be just confusion about what, what they do for me. There's so many different titles. There's financial advisor, financial planner, registered representative, registered investment advisor, fiduciary suitability. I mean, there's all these terms that people don't understand, and hopefully today, we can uh, give some insight into how an advisor can add value and what all these different terms sort of mean, Peg.
1: Yeah. When I was looking at the outline and we were discussing it a week or two ago, I you know, I kind of forget about all the names that um, the job that we do as financial advisors. Um, not everybody actually gets that financial advisor title. You know, there's wealth management manager, there's financial representative, there's investment advisor. Yes, no wonder uh, when I was looking at the outline how confusing this must be to the public. So, Bruce, what I thought we would do is, you know, just define what a fiduciary advisor is. And basically, um, you're obligated uh, to work in the best interest of your client always, right? And our theme at Wealth Enhancement Group since the beginning was do what is right for the client always. Well, they have to legalize that, right? So when we talk about uh, fiduciary, it's not only in our industry, but it's actually like your doctor, You know, talking to you as a patient, or if you're a trustee, you know, for a person outside of your family or within your family, um, if you're, you know, uh, taking care of, well, let's say you're an attorney to clients. So this is not just isolated with our business, but I think it's a really, really good idea that everybody who works in our industry has what they believe is the highest standards possible. And you're always wanting to work in the best interest of those clients. Now, when it comes to um, a fiduciary, I think the first thing I want to mention is, yes, it's just the highest standard possible. Um, but then in 2020, uh, there's another part of our business, and, and I'm actually registered in both. I'm, a, I'm part of a broker-dealer and I'm also a fiduciary under a registered investment advisory. Now I might be confusing people here, but in 2020, because the fiduciary is just held to such a high standard, uh, the broker-dealer world, actually, um, the SEC (Securities Exchange Commission) came up with a written, you know, standard for people who are not an investment advisor or a registered investment advisor. And that was good, Bruce, in that, uh, you know, all broker dealers probably work in the best interest anyway, but it's all written down. Now, what does that really mean? And what that means is they just upgraded the standards with it's called regulation, best interest. And once again, sounds really simple, but it's an obligation to act in a retail customer's best interest. And to satisfy that, you actually have to do four obligations. One is disclosing. Two is care. Three is conflict of interest. And four is compliance. Now, we have to take continuing education. Bruce, you know that, right? Lots of continuing education. And every year, um, they, we uh, view and we have to test at the end that we fully understand both what a fiduciary is and um, a regulation uh, best interest. So I think they're they're closer on the same footing, fiduciary and uh, regulation best interest, more so than they've ever been before. Bruce.
2: Yeah, and, and Peg, uh, thanks for that distinction. I, I actually. Uh, got an email from someone during the week pointing that out. And, and I wasn't aware of that uh, that 2020 law passed. But, but also, I've never meant, you know, we've talked about fiduciary versus suitability many times on the show. And I've never meant to suggest that if someone just is a, a, a registered representative or just has the suitability standard, that they're not doing the best that they can for their client. There's a lot of good advisors out there that are not registered investment advisors or do not have to meet a fiduciary standard that still do a good job for their clients. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's, the distinction is a lot closer now than it was prior to 2020. And the other thing I think of Peg is, you know, I think sometimes when people hear fiduciary or even in the advertisements they see, um, there's a suggestion perhaps that a fiduciary would never quote unquote, sell anything and earn commission. But the reality is, and you mentioned it, that you're your dual-licensed wealth enhancement as a firm, full disclosure, is both a registered investment advisor and as an affiliation with a broker-dealer. And as a comprehensive financial planner, sometimes we uncover a need for long-term care insurance or better health insurance or more or less life insurance. And if we sell life insurance or if we sell long-term care to that client… I would suggest we're doing a good job of comprehensive financial planning and fulfilling that need, but the fact that we get paid to do that does not diminish our fiduciary responsibility. In fact, I would say it enhances it. And for those that don't do that, I would suggest maybe aren't giving comprehensive advice if they don't delve into some of these other areas that go beyond just investment management. Okay.
1: Yes, I, I, I agree with everything that you said there, Bruce. And one of the things that um, everybody should know is that the uh, compliance or the training, whether you are um, you know, a registered investment advisor with a fiduciary or if you're with a broker dealer under regulation best interest, um, you're always, always, once again, acting in the Client's best interest, and what's interesting about that, Bruce, is is um, I, I love the continuing education that we are mandated to take because today um, they illustrate a lot of things to us in what I would call like movies, right? It's like real people, like and situations that maybe I don't uh, run into very often, but they're educating me on you know what is my role and and believe it or not not disclosing something you are as guilty as you know disclosing something that may have been incorrect so just uh the role that we play and i just want the listeners to know the role that we pe- play is a very high level um role and actually that's probably why for decades bruce i have lost a lot of sleep right because I, people are actually and, and i get goosebumps because they're asking me you know, to help their entire family with comprehensive advice that's tailored to them. And, you know, you do that using the best interest and the roundtable and, and as much information as I can get to feel confident that I'm guiding these people, <clears throat> just like all the advisors at Wealth Enhancement Group. But that's what I mean by what is that role? That role is something that you take seriously and make sure that you um, educate your client, and you know, and and not not disclose things that you think, oh, that'll confuse them or whatever. No, you you disclose. So um, ultimately, Bruce, I just wanted to tell you that you know it is a big deal um, whether you are a, a fiduciary or you're under this um, best interest regulation uh, from 2020, Bruce. <clears throat>
2: So let's segue, Peg, into how advisors can add value. Um, I've referenced this study many times over the years. There's a company called Vanguard. Many listeners have have heard of them and know them as a money manager. But Vanguard years ago did a study on whether or how advisors add value, and they've recently updated this information. They went back to the study that they did years ago, and they kind of looked at the same things. And Vanguard determined that advisors can add value in the following areas. I'll just say them really quick. Suitable asset allocation, cost-effective implementation, in other words, expense ratio, keeping costs down, rebalancing, behavioral coaching, asset location, spending strategy, or what we call retirement income planning, what order do I make withdrawals from my investments when I'm taking my retirement income, and then differentiating between total return and income investing. And so they looked at all these categories. And Peg, you and I would not be surprised by this, but listeners might. Vanguard determined that far and away the biggest value add of all those areas was in behavioral coaching. You want you want to talk about that a little?
1: Well, I I can I, I can truly be a spokesperson for this because when it comes to behavioral coaching, um I, in many cases, Bruce and Susie, I have to get help. Like for making decisions all by yourself is very hard to do. So what I mean by that is I have these emotions that everybody else has, knowing that my clients have them, everybody you deal with on a daily basis has them. And what we mean by behavioral coaching is when you are afraid and there's a lot of negative news, you tend to, even though you feel like you're a strong, strong person and that you won't do it, is that you make decisions based on what you're hearing in the short term. So behavioral coaching would be, this is really dramatic, when it was 2008, 2009, and that market was crashing. And, you know, uh, we had so many clients that said they just wanted to bail at that time. Well, I'm so proud of the fact that all my clients, and I know within Wealth Enhancement Group, we got people to stay in, and there was only one person that I couldn't talk out of it. But, you know, looking back, no wonder it's the number one thing, because we're emotional creatures. and Guess what? It's our money. We've worked so hard to get this pot of money, so of course you're going to be emotional. So a third-party person is definitely going to be able to help you uh, be more level-headed when um you know there's drama around you uh trying to steer you into doing the wrong thing bruce
2: yeah i love what you said peg and and you know we we all experienced that in 2008 and and to a lesser extent even a couple years ago i had a little bit of that but uh even people that are intelligent and and informed and would tell you look i know about investing you want to buy low and sell high will oftentimes deviate from that when driven by emotion. Sometimes, most of the time, it's fear. Sometimes it could be greed. And I always tell people, look, don't make an emotional decision. And it's sort of, it's sort of my job to protect you or save you from yourself when you want to make emotional decisions. And just ask yourself, play, when's the last time you made a good decision when you made an emotional decision? Probably never, right? If you make emotional decisions rather than logical or pragmatic, it's almost never going to be a good decision. So I I found that really interesting. And again, the Vanguard study, and we'll dig into this a little bit deeper, but they actually determined that a good financial advisor, a valued financial advisor can add in excess of 3% per year on return on investment with all the various things. And one of the things we talk on the show uh, frequently about, Peg, is that we, we pride ourselves at being really good at helping clients minimize taxes. And part of that is retirement income planning. Which money do I spend first and why in having tax diversification? But if we can reduce income taxes, that's one of the most efficient ways that we can enhance the total return on investment. But think about that. Net of cost, net of cost, Vanguard study says, that advisors can add in excess of 3% per year to the rate of return. Now, again, that's not a guarantee, and past history doesn't guarantee the future. We have to say all those legal disclaimers. But we didn't do the study. Vanguard did. We're just looking at the information, and those of us that practice the way we do at Wealth Enhancement, it, it all makes sense. It's all logical to us. Peg?
1: Well, we talk a lot about the, the second highest um, added value is the spending strategy. And I would add with that, first of all, coaching people on how to invest their money based on maybe today's taxes or future taxes. That means after tax money, um, tax um, deferred money and tax advantage money in the year money matrix. So, but then on the flip side coaching clients to spend money in a certain withdrawal order, given the times. You know, if if it's a dramatic time, like 2022, when the stock market was doing terrible, you know, that would be a time to maybe not take any money out of the stock market. When the 2023 was a great year, you know, maybe you go to your reserves and you say, okay, I'm going to... um take some of my money market but I'm going to take some of the winnings off the table now that that market all came back. All of those are strategies and that's something we do uh daily with our clients. So that is the second best one. And then the third one is um asset allocation. Like how much stocks, bonds and then even a deeper dive. How much do you have in each one of those categories and are you diversified? There are some signs that maybe a particular asset class is going to do better than others, and that is at value added uh, from your advisor. Bruce.
2: Yeah, and the, the, you know the other thing in addition to you know you talked about uh, uh, if the stock market's down, it's not a good time to sell stocks. This gets back to our philosophy of having short term, mid-term, and long term money and also having money that's taxable, tax deferred, and tax advantaged. So an example on the tax side peg, and it's it's an oversimplified one, and there's others that are more you know complex, but I think prevailing wisdom, I think people listening to us right now, I think the vast majority would say, well, I know that when I retire, I don't want to take withdrawals from my traditional IRA or my traditional 401k until I have to when I'm say, 73 years old or whatever, and I have a required minimum distribution. And you say, oh, well, why is that? Well, because I take withdrawals out of those accounts, I have to pay taxes on the withdrawal. Well, but sometimes that's okay. You have to look at the tax bracket you're in from all your other sources of income, and if you're in a low tax bracket and you can take a withdrawal from a traditional IRA or a traditional 401k, and pay taxes federally at say 10 percent or 12 percent on the dollar we might coach a client forget what prevailing wisdom says to wait as long as possible we think you're never going to pay at a lower tax rate than right now let's take enough out to soak up and people can't see me but i always do air quotes when i say soak up we're going to soak up the low bracket that you're in right now because you're never going to pay taxes at a lower rate than this and if you don't need the money for lifestyle this year, we can do a Roth conversion or you can reinvest it in something safe and, and park it and use it later. But the idea that we should never take our tax deferred money until we absolutely have to for most people, is just wrong. But I, a lot of people think, I think still believe that.
1: Yeah, I I know they believe that. And, um, and, in. And- What what used to be kind of the standard there is, let's say you had um, a basket of stocks and bonds, and you just decide to dollar cost average out of that portfolio. Let's say it's half stocks, half bonds, and now you retire and you just simultaneously, just every month, take a withdrawal. And over time, you know, you'll sell some low, you'll sell some high. Um, There's been studies, too, that say maybe that's not the best thing. Maybe some hands-on approach. Um, you know, to to not selling your stocks when they're down 20, 30 percent and then just taking from your reserves or something that it hasn't been affected as as harshly, then um, that can add value, too. That's what we're talking about today. You know, I I was um, started talking about asset allocation, and I wanted just to make the point also that that's a really big deal is, um, and I'm going to get back to the emotional part, some people just don't like ups and downs of the stock market, right? But one of the things that has kept up with inflation historically, and I don't know if that's going to continue in the future, is um, the stock market has held up um, compared to inflation. And so we're always coaching our clients about the, the future and how much things are going to cost. And, you know, so we want to make sure that there's some part of your portfolio that you're willing to kind of put the blinders on and let it grow over time. But for some people that's hard. So educating them around why you would do what we want, we're recommending you do is important too, when it comes to the value add from an advisor, Bruce.
2: Uh, uh, Peg and Susie, we're getting close to break time. So uh, I know a couple things, Peg, that we didn't get to yet, that I'm sure you would like to talk about. So Susie, second half of the show, we'll uh, we'll talk about a couple more things, put a, a bow on our topic on uh, fiduciary and financial advisors, and then we'll certainly get listeners involved and answer as many questions as we can in the second half of the show.
0: All right, that sounds great. Again, you're listening to Your Money, and if you have a question, you can call this number right now, 651-461-9226. And if you don't want to go on the air, you can actually text that question right to Bruce and Peg 651 461 9226. More of your questions after this short break on News Talk 830 WCCO. And welcome back to It's Your Money. We once again want to let you know that if you have a financial question for Bruce and Peg, at any time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you can reach someone at Wealth Enhancement at 1-888-6-ADVICE. You can also email questions to yourmoney@wealthenhancement.com. But for the next 25 minutes, you can text or call 651 Once again, Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor Peg Webb and founder of Wealth Enhancement Group and Financial Advisor Bruce Helmer. Welcome back to both of you.
2: Thank you, Susie Jones. Appreciate that. Thank you, listeners. So Peg and I, the first time of the show, have been talking about what is a fiduciary and do you need one? And I'm not going to recap everything that we talked about, but Peg, we don't mention this enough. I'll remind listeners, uh, Minnesota listeners, Peg and I also have every other week, we have a column in the St. Paul Pioneer Press. And I think uh, it's in today's paper, we also wrote an article about the same topic on the this year, and we included the uh, best interest uh, law change in 2020, that's included in there. And uh, so a lot of the things that we talked about, if it's not clear or you forgot, you, and you get a chance to check out uh, the St. Paul Pioneer Press, the articles in there. Peg, I know one of the things you wanted to talk about, so that we, we, we mentioned the Vanguard study and how Vanguard demonstrated that net of cost financial advisors can add considerable value And they talked about, you know, a lot of different areas, but again, financial planning, and that includes uh, investments, asset allocation, retirement asset protection, tax and estate planning, gift planning. But it also, I find this interesting, it mentions identifying values. Now, we talk about this all the time. What is our client, what, what are their core values? What's important to them? What makes them tick? Who are they? What are they trying to accomplish And I've never understood, I know a lot of our industry, and I'm not trying to throw rocks at the industry, but a lot of our industry has sort of patented regular investments that they're going to recommend to everybody or advice they're going to give to everybody. And I've never understood how you can advise a client without knowing them, without understanding them, what makes them tick, we're all different, we're all snowflakes, no two people are alike. So what are their core values? We've always done that at Wealth Enhancement, and it it was validating and satisfying for me to see that as a big part of of the Vanguard study. So I know you wanted to talk more about core values.
1: Well, I did, uh, Bruce, because that's the most fun part of my job is, you know, when you meet new people and you um, are just kind of diving in to wonder what these people are like and, and what's important to them. So recently I had um, uh, clients come in as a referral and it, just to give an, give an idea, and it takes a little bit of time to do this. Uh, And you have to, as an advisor, you have to kind of prompt people with questions to get them to start talking because I, I, quite frankly, they had not met me before. And uh, this is very similar throughout Wealth Enhancement Group, what happens. But um, so this particular couple, I, you know, I talked about legacy and now they were in their late 50s. So, you know, legacy didn't really mean anything to them. But so it wasn't crystal clear yet. But yet they wanted to give their kids still this motivation to keep, um, you know, doing what they're doing and pursuing their lives and not saying, hey, mom and dad have all this money. Um, Secondly, purposeful work. So um, they want to work part time versus full time family. Oh, my. You you. They didn't even stop talking about these grandkids and and the fact that they want to um, put a pool in their backyard just for these grandkids. And you could just see they were just beaming with excitement about, you know, living with them and through their lives in the upcoming years. Um, Travel. They want to travel all over the world, but yet they're conflicted. Should they do an RV? Should they go buy a place in Florida? and then um in minnesota this is common right their their hobbies are fishing and hunting and golfing and all those kinds of things but i wanted to give a definition of what that might be bruce you know when people come in to see us because they might say oh i don't know what they're really talking about but these are something these are things then that i typed and i put in their file and i continue to talk to them about what's important to them and think and it might change and then following that is this whole goal session, you know, so what do you want to do first? What do you want to do second? And it's like just working together versus a one-way discussion uh, in clients like that. Bruce?
2: Uh, I, yeah, I, and those are all great examples of, of you know, the, what we're talking about in terms of core values and why it's important. Um, that you want to hit on um, before we go to listeners and maybe I thought um, in addition to whatever else you you want to talk about Peg do you want to talk a little bit about how you choose an advisor and I I know we didn't say you know but we know the stats Um, again there's a lot of evidence out there that suggests that people that use an advisor net of cost I want to keep stressing that net of cost do better than those that don't use an advisor Yet from the data, we know that only 35% of people use a financial advisor. That means 65% of you out there listening aren't using an advisor, which frankly, you know, baffles me. But um, if we did convince anybody today that, that's not using an advisor that they should, you want to talk a little bit about how they go about finding one or choosing one?
1: Well, I... I, I, I... I I believe in interviewing more than one person. Now, if you get a strong referral from a friend or something, you know, that might be your first choice, but some of the signs, because I'm a consumer too, right? And I go hire people. Some of the things that I, uh, you know, kind of take into consideration is, are they actually listening to me or are they, you know, seem like they're drifting and talking about or wanting to get out of that meeting? do they seem to care about you? You know, um, because this job as a financial advisor, if you don't have that care uh, and it's not um, prevalent and in, in, in witnessed, witnessed by the person who's interviewing you, then I, I can't imagine that they would even take the next step. Then you want to make sure that they have experience or that they have not only experience, but have a roundtable team of specialists. There's not an advisor out there that can do it all by themselves. And I'll be the first to admit that, you know, I need help in all these different areas. And then um, fiduciary is a big deal. I think it it does carry a higher standard. You know, the Securities Exchange Commission uh, um, in 2020 added the best interest regulation, and I love that. But yet I still feel like just in our entire industry, not just ours, but, you know, doctor, lawyers, lots of other people follow that um, that fiduciary uh, responsibility. And I think that's a big thing. But so just make sure when you go interview advisors that you ask them the same questions so that you have a good, clear measurement. Um, And I'd say, you know, two or three would be uh, plenty. And then how do they get paid? That's a really big question. And, you know, you should be knowledgeable about what maybe you're paying your advisor now before you go visit other advisors, because you should feel like you know what exactly you're getting um, charged from someone that maybe you're um, anticipating leaving uh, in the short time. Bruce?
2: Yeah, that's a good one, Peg. I think it is important to know what your advisory advice cost. But I also like to say cost is only an issue in the absence of value. So at the end of the day, what's your net net, but I think, you know, your fees should be transparent. It's amazing to me how often times I meet somebody for the first time and I ask what they're paying their current advisor and they don't know. And I, and I would be stunned if any of my clients did not understand how they're paying me. I think they, I think they know, and I think we make it obvious and transparent. So you should know. And, uh, and again, I always tell people also peg, if over you know, a certain reasonable period of time, if you can't see that you're better off with me than without me, if I haven't justified the cost, you should fire me. That's what I would do as a consumer. I would fire the person that's not delivering. And knock on wood, as I say this out loud, and blessed and fortunate that we don't get fired very often. So, um, yeah, how they get paid does matter. And, and all the other things that you just said also, I think, are, are important. Any last thoughts that you have, Peg, or do you want to go to questions?
1: Oh, I think we go to questions.
2: Okay. Six. Really quick really quickly, Susie. I just want to get this in last last word. If all this mumbo jumbo that we gave you about statistics and how advisors add value or whatever, if it doesn't resonate, just ask yourself this question. Think of somebody that you know who has a lot of money. It might be somebody you know personally, somebody you work with or just a famous person, Warren Buffett, or Bill Gates, or Mark Zuckerberg, or Taylor Swift, and ask yourself, are they doing this all by themselves, or are they getting advisors? And I will tell you that every wealthy, financially successful person has an advisor, sometimes a team of advisors. So the successful people that have a lot of money, don't try to do this alone, neither should you. Advisors add value. And I'll, I'll leave it at that, and we'll let's uh we'll take questions the rest of the way sorry Susie. that's
0: okay it's your show it's your money it's the listeners <laughs> money it's my money greg in new hope is texting in this morning asking what is your opinion of the three bucket method of withdrawal from 401k and can you guys explain that a little bit
2: so peg i'm not sure uh what what, what is uh the three bucket exactly what he's referring to i don't know if, uh, if he's talking about the the three legs of the retirement income stool or, uh, are, uh, go ahead. Do you have a, an idea?
1: Well, um, it, it, to me, that just means short term intermediate term kind of long term, um, and assets and having kind of an equal value of assets in buckets. We call it the year money matrix, which is much more complex than the three bucket withdrawal, uh, termination, the, the way people talk about it. So I, I, I think this person is asking more about the short, medium, long, you know, and, and taking withdrawals from the short would be safe. The medium might be a combination of bonds and growth stocks, and, or, and then the long would be stocks. And I talked a little bit about this in the first half about being aware of the conditions out there, like are interest rates high? Are they low? Is um, the stock market high or is it low? You know, um, you need to uh, figure out a calculation of what's a safe withdrawal rate uh, and then make a determination. I, the, The way we coach people is what are the conditions out there with interest rates and stocks, and then where's the smartest place to take that money from, you know to live on this particular year and once again that's not common out there a lot of advisors tend to just say okay let's just dollar cost average out of this money and not take um any consideration in the timing and um i i don't feel that works as well because once again the emotional component of people don't necessarily allow you to continue to do that dollar cost averaging out because when it's bad then you start you're selling stocks at the bottom, and then you get the phone calls from the clients too, and say, why in the world are we selling out of the stock market when it's 30% down? So, that's um, my feeling, Bruce, about what this three bucket um, withdrawal strategy is. Bruce,
2: yeah, I think you probably got it right. And I, when I think when I hear the buckets of money, I think it was a guy named Ray Lucia that kind of uh, coined that that terminology, and that's probably what Greg was talking about, so I think you got it right. But for, for listeners that I totally confused when I said what I said, where my brain went was uh, th- you know, he, the three three buckets or uh, different buckets of money. I thought of the three, three-legged stool for retirement income sources, which traditionally is your Social Security, and if you're one of the fortunate people that have a pension, and then the third is your own retirement plan or your own savings and investments and how do you use those three sources of income and make sure you're you know you're spending the smartest money first and when do you turn on social security and when do you exercise a pension and so forth so that's where my brain went but I think you're right peg I don't think that's what Greg was asking us I think you got it right Susie
0: 6514619226 this texter writes good morning thank you for the awesome money show i was wondering both my spouse and i are retired together we have about 1.5 million in our roth and our financial advisor has asked us to buy annuities for our future. What do you think about this? I am 66. My spouse is 65. Thank you.
2: Peg, annuities. What do you think? They have $1.5 million. Chris, there's a lot of things we don't know. We don't know if they still have debt or a mortgage. We don't know if legacy planning or leaving money to loved ones is important. We don't know if they want to be philanthropic. So a lot that we don't know but just from 10,000 feet, they have 1500000 million, they're retired, and somebody thinks uh, an annuity is a good idea. You want to talk about that?
1: Yeah, annuities are actually an investment option, right? So uh, stocks, um, bonds, um, you could say mutual funds, you could say exchange-traded funds. It's just an entity of something that you can buy. And annuities have pros and cons. Annuities um, are issued by insurance companies, and there's multiple ways to buy an annuity. There's a fixed annuity where you get um, kind of a CD like rate of return, but it's not like it's not FDIC like the bank, but it's a fixed rate of return. They also have um, annuities where you can participate in the stock market. And then uh, many insurance companies will put some kind of a stop loss on that. So if you're in the if you're in the um, stock market, maybe there's a extra provision that you purchase for an extra cost to um, protect your principal more or protect uh, what kind of rate of return you would get over time? And then there's a third one that actually puts the combination of the two. There's fixed and growth or stock market um, increases. They blend it together. Uh, and those are called index annuities, which are actually really popular right now. now the 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 um, con about annuities is they absolutely, absolutely cost more than you just going out and buying, you know, a basket of bonds or stocks, Um, exchange traded funds, or let's take the S&P 500, that you can go buy 500 stocks with a purchase and the internal costs of that are going to be very, very low because it's an index fund, where if you put the S&P 500 into an annuity, then there's going to be more costs from the insurance company because they're going to give you some added maybe stop losses or some uh, features and benefits that you wouldn't have uh, if you just bought the S&P 500. So uh, here's the bottom line. Annuities fit for the right person. And to me, the right person is people are afraid if they're, if let's say I I want an allocation of 70% in the stock market and 30% in fixed because when I ran their financial plan, they had to have that type of growth to be able to do everything they wanted to do with their goals and what's important to them. And they're younger, they're in their fifties. And so, but they went, no way, no, how am I going to put 70% of the stock market? That just scares me. Well, a lot of times these insurance products help people invest that 70% because the insurance company gave some type of protection. Now, once again, you're buying that and it's going to be cost you more, But in the long run, if 20%, if you would only go in 50% in the stock market, but I really wanted you to go in 70, then maybe that 20%, you do purchase an annuity that maybe would give you that protection to sleep at night. And even if it costs more, it's okay with you because it may meet your goals long term. So there is a place for them. I feel bad because they're so complex that I think a lot of clients and people out there listening today, they don't really understand them. So you do need to work with a financial advisor that is a fiduciary or somebody that's working in your best interest to educate you on how, they're, how they work and why this particular one might fit your portfolio. Bruce?
2: Peg, that was so good. I can't even tell you. What a great answer. As you were going through the answer in my head, I kept thinking of things that I would add and then you would cover that and you, didn't, and you took another thing that I was going to say. The only thing I will add Another negative usually of annuities is a reduction of the investor's liquidity. They, they almost always have a deferred sales charge or a back end load, so they limit the access to your money. But, Peg, you said it exactly right. There's certain disadvantages and certain advantages, and the investor has to do a cost benefit analysis and determine, are these disadvantages worth to me to get the advantages? Now, full disclosure, I'm going to raise my hand and volunteer. I personally... As I get older and I want to reduce my risk, I don't want to get out of the market, but I want to reduce my risk in the market. I just took some money on my 401k, did an in-service distribution to an IRA, and I put it into an annuity that, that gives me greater protection. I'm still in the market, and but I've limited my downside. Now, in, in return for that, it also limits my upside, but I'm willing to do that at my age with my time horizon. Susie, can we try to squeeze in one more quick question?
0: Well, it's a good one, I think, because somebody asked about how the, their advisor said out loud what the fee was going to be for their service, and they wanted to know how can they track that because everything's, you know, lots of different numbers when you get your statements and things. Is there a way to kind of clarify? So, as you said, some of you were like, I don't know. I mean, that's that's probably <laughs> a really good, good information for folks to know.
2: Right. Peg, you want to talk about transparency of fees? Got about a Um, minute or less.
0: Well, okay. Um,
1: Obviously, the advisor has that information. So do not hesitate to ask about that information if it isn't clear. Uh, Wealth Enhancement Group um, talks about the fees on your um, annual uh, review. And so we like to make sure that everybody knows what they're paying for the services that we're providing, Bruce.
2: Yeah, on our statement, you can see it clearly. You can see, here's what what I had at the beginning of the time period. Here's my gains or losses in the market. Here's my cost. Here's my net number that I have right now. It's right on those quarterly statements. It's transparent. It's easy to see. And if it's never not clear to you, ask your advisor and they should be able to give you an explanation that makes sense. Susie, I know we're out of time. Sorry about that. I was you're we long winded on a couple of those questions, but they were good questions.
0: Yeah, really good questions. And there are people that have text questions that have not gotten them answered yet. And we want to tell them they can call this number, please, 1 advice. And you can also email your questions to your money at wealth Again, that is your money at wealth Free consultation. You can call and ask them anything, and they'll help you out. Have a great week. See you next time.